0: Please turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We'll be looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 27 through 30 this morning. Let's read that together. Paul says, Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. With one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and this too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. I want you to um, imagine for a minute, uh, think back to the time when you were 15 years old and you're about to get your driver's license. And uh, for, this is probably not true for, for most of us, but imagine that your parents came to you and they said, the day you turn 16, you're going to wake up that morning and there's going to be a car in the driveway for you. And they're all excited and they say, you know, be ready for that day. 16th birthday rolls around, uh, you wake up early, but they're already up and they're out, they're standing in the driveway, they're waiting for you to come out of the house, and you walk out of the house, you go into the driveway, and this is what you see. Okay? <laughs> uh, you know, they say, oh, you know, don't even thank us. You are worth every penny. <laughs> what would your perspective be? What do you, you know? Would, would you just care for this car or love this car? I, 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 showed, I was telling my son about this illustration I wanted to use, and I said, would, would you wash it every day, buddy? He goes, no, Daddy, I, I wouldn't wash it. That would just spread the rust, right? <laughs> It wouldn't seem like a very valuable gift. It'd be difficult to really motivate yourself to care for it. On the other hand, what if you walked out and you saw that? That's a BMW. (laughs) Um, My perspective would be completely changed. My attitude would change. My practice would change. I would be washing and waxing that car every day. I wouldn't let my friends sit in it. Right? (laughs) You know? Or make, put plastic around them, you know, wrap them up and stick towels down. You know, don't, oh, don't touch my car. All right. You know, it, it would just completely change my orientation. And what Paul is trying to do with the Philippian believers is he's trying to change their orientation. He's trying to get them to understand what an incredibly valuable gift they have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, only... It's the first word. It's emphatic. It's a focus. It, it, it's the word we get mono from. He says, focus on this only. Conduct yourselves or your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That word for worthy means to be of equal weight. The idea is something that balances the scales is something that's worthy. So Paul is saying, on the one hand, you have the gospel And on the other is your life. On one side of the scale is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the incredibly free gift of the removal of the debt of sin and the free gift of eternity. That's on one side of the scale. And the other is your life. And your life needs to correspond to that. Or if I can put it in other terms, Paul is telling them, I want you to balance your life with the gospel. Now Paul is not saying that we earn God's grace. Okay, that's a contradiction in terms. Grace is, by its very nature and definition, something that's free. God's undeserved favor toward us in Jesus Christ. Freely, he gives us the removal of the debt of sin and the penalty that comes with it. Freely, he gives us eternal life, the moment that we believe. But having received that gift, Paul says, it is only natural that we would want to live lives that correspond to the value of this gift. This isn't a VW van. This is, it's a BMW. This is not something that uh, is rusty and worn out. It is shining anew. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Conduct your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's a great illustration of this in uh, the musical Les Mis. Uh, I confess, I'm not a big musical guy. My, my wife would love it if I were, but I'm not. But I've seen Les Mis three times because it is just a, a perfect illustration of grace. Uh, if you've never seen it before, let me encourage you to do so. I'll give you the storyline very quickly. The main character is Jean Valjean. Uh, that's French. I don't even pronounce French, but that's the best I can do. Anyway, he was a convicted criminal. When he was a young man, he stole a loaf of bread to feed his family. And he was put in hard labor for something like 30 years. So he's breaking rocks for 30 years. When he gets out, he has no life. Everywhere he goes, he has to register as a criminal so he can't get a job. So he's going from place to place, and pretty soon he is destitute. He comes upon the home of a priest, and this priest welcomes him in and shows him grace. The priest allows him to spend the night. The priest feeds him and gives him a bed. In the middle of the night, Jean Valjean wakes up and he sees the silver candlesticks in the dining area and his sense of desperation overwhelms him. He grabs the silver candlesticks and the priest comes out and in the process, there's a scuffle and he knocks the priest to the ground, runs out of the house, and he's caught. He's caught red-handed. He has the candlesticks in his bag. And so the police bring him back. And they say to the priest, are these your candlesticks? He says, yes, yes, those are my candlesticks. And so the police begin to haul Jean Valjean away. And he says, no, 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 wait, you don't understand. I gave them to him as a gift. And sir, I think that you forgot the rest of the silver I was going to give to you. And he loads him down with more silver. The police are shocked and Jean Valjean is shocked. And for the first time, he experiences grace in his life. He should have owed a debt. He should have gone back to the prison again. And instead of being imprisoned again, he is enriched. And that is grace. We have a debt to pay. We should have been imprisoned for that debt. But instead, Jesus Christ pays that debt for us and enriches us. And there's nothing that we can do to earn it. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But having received such an incredible gift, it's only natural for us to say, thank you, God. I can't pay you back. There's nothing that I can do to pay you back. But I want to live a life that's corresponding to the value of this gift. And the more I understand the value of this gift, the more I want to live for Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is trying to focus their attention upon. He's just talked to them about his own life. And he says, I know you understand my circumstances, that I'm in prison, but don't pity me, rejoice with me. Because although I am suffering, the gospel is going out and Paul is looking at all of his life through the lens of the gospel and he's trying to get these Philippian believers to look at their lives through the lens of the gospel, not through the lens of their circumstances. So he says, only conduct your lives in a manner worthy of or balancing, corresponding to the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in such a way It's interesting, if you look at Paul's writings, that when he's talking about the Christian life as he is here, normally he uses the Jewish analogy of walk, okay? Life is like walking, Illustration of this is in Ephesians 4, very similar theme to the book of uh, Philippians. He says, "'Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called.'" Uh, Philippians and uh, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon were all written from the same prison cell. Paul says, therefore, I as a prisoner implore you to walk in this manner. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he uses the same imagery. He says, walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. But in Philippians, he doesn't talk about our life as a walk. He talks about it as citizenship. Okay? Notice again, verse 27 He says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word for conducting yourself is better translated, literally translated, discharge your obligation as citizens. Live out your citizenship. Uh, Live and participate in your citizenship in a manner that's corresponding to that citizenship which was established through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, remember the background. These folks are Roman citizens and they take an incredible pride in being Roman citizens. Even though their city is located in Macedonia, it's in northern Greece, this city state has been declared Rome, a mini Rome. So all the privileges of living in Rome correspond to this city. Now, I want you to uh, review for you. Remember, these are some of the privileges they're governed by Roman law, they don't pay taxes, they cannot be tortured or imprisoned without a trial. They have the right to own and to sell land. They have the right to execute civil lawsuits. They have all of these rights, and they are very proud of these rights, and they cling to these rights, and Paul is saying to them, your Roman citizenship and the value and the privileges that come with that are nothing in comparison to your citizenship in heaven with Jesus Christ. So live in a manner that corresponds to that. When you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changes everything in life. It reorients your entire perspective and, and all of the things that you pursue in life. Let me give you one illustration of this from the Gospels, from uh, the book of Mark, Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three, and let's read together in verse 31. Mark 3:31. It says, Then Jesus' mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those who were sitting around him, Jesus said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, do you remember the, uh, the setting in Mark chapter 3? Why, why is his mom there? And why are his brothers there? Why did they come to this house and say, we're here, Jesus, come out? Do you remember? They came to get him because everybody's starting to think he's crazy. That's why they're, they're there to collect him and to protect him because people are saying he's got a demon. He thinks he's some kind of prophet. And his mom isn't buying it. And his brothers, they're not believing him. They are not aligning themselves with his message of the kingdom and that he is the Messiah. They are rejecting this message. They think he's crazy too. And so they've come to get him. And Jesus says, anyone who doesn't align himself or herself with the gospel of the kingdom is not aligned with me. The gospel of the kingdom changes all of my life, even down to the very... uh, deepest and most personal relationships that I've been born into, who is my mother and brother and sisters? It is those who align themselves with the gospel. And it's not that he doesn't care for his mom or he doesn't care for his brothers. He does. Remember when he's hanging on the cross, he says to John, John, this is your mother. Take care of her. Love her. what he's saying is the gospel changes all of life. It it totally reorients our perspective on life because now we understand we have received the most valuable gift that we could possibly receive, eternal life in Jesus Christ. Now, live a life that is corresponding to that, consistent with that. When I was in seminary, I I think I've told you before some stories about my friend from India, uh, Babu. He he and I were sitting in his room one evening and uh, he was telling me, about his ministry. He was converted from Hinduism, and after he uh, came to know Christ, he went out and he began sharing the gospel with other Hindus, and he was planting churches with Hindus. And um, really, that's hard work, very slow work, but he was seeing some fruit. And one day we were sitting talking about it, and he said, You know, Brian, really, you should come and work with me. You should come to India and work with me in evangelism and church planting among Hindus. And uh, I knew just enough to uh, know that that wasn't a good idea. For me to do. And I said, well, you know, Babu, that's, just, that's not possible because I can't get a, a missionary visa. Which is true. You can't get a missionary visa. An American can't to, to go and live in India. They, they stopped those several decades ago. So, you know, I could get a student visa for a short period of time or a tourist visa, but I couldn't come and work with you. It's just not possible. And he smiled at me and said, oh, that's no problem at all, Brian. All that you have to do is renounce your U.S. citizenship and become a citizen of India. (laughs) And uh, he was serious. And I had to stop and think about that for a minute because uh, there was nothing in me that wanted to do that. So I went back to my room and I kind of wrestled through that issue with the Lord. I said, Lord... Why don't I want to do that? I, you know, there, I, I, don't, I don't want to renounce my U.S. citizenship. There are a lot of benefits that come from being a U.S. citizen. That's my identity. Too, I was, I was born here. My whole family's here. If I renounce that citizenship and become a citizen of India, then all my family will be citizens of another country. And this isn't just like a tourist visa. This is like commitment. This would be for life. The U.S. government probably wouldn't like it if I kept going back and forth. Can I have my citizenship back? And I was clinging to it. And I really had to wrestle with the Lord. Lord, if you really called me to do that, do I identify myself so closely with my citizenship in heaven and the gospel of Jesus Christ that I would set aside any and all earthly privilege in order to proclaim the gospel to people who have never heard it before ever in their lives? Do I love the gospel that much? Do I love Jesus Christ that much? Do I understand that he is that Valuable that all that I have on earth is as nothing compared with Christ. That's what Paul is telling these Philippian believers. Live a manner that's worthy of the gospel. Not to pay Christ back because you can't add to the value of his sufferings, but through your life you can proclaim the value of his sufferings. Live in a way that balances the scales, that's corresponding to the gospel. How do you do that? Well, he's going to give some specifics. He's going to tell us that we balance our life by standing firm for the gospel. Turn back with me again to Philippians chapter one. Let's read verse 27 again. Paul says, "'Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel.'" So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, Paul likes to uh, mix his metaphors, and he's going to do that in this next several verses. He's going to start with a, an image from the military Stand firm. And that was the image of, of a soldier at his post, and the enemy is raging against the city, but the soldier stands firm. He doesn't leave his post, he doesn't leave his duty. Or he's out in the field and they are in rank and file and he doesn't break ranks and discourage the rest of the soldiers. He stands firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He remains focused on one thing, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's going to now go on and tell us four ways that we can stand firm for the gospel. The first is that we stand firm by striving. Notice again verse 27, he says, I want to hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel here he switches to an athletic imagery the word is athleo from which we get athletics said i want you to strive for the gospel he put energy into the gospel that's not legalism god has given you a body and a mind to strive for the gospel in the same way that we're to worship with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are to strive and put all of our energies toward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Later on, he'll talk about it as a, as a conflict or an, literally an agony, as a running race or as a boxing match. Paul's very fond of this image of, of the struggle. He says, fight the good fight. Timothy, fight the good fight. I have fought the good fight. And the implication is there are fights that are not good fights and don't get into those. But there is one fight that is a good fight and it's the fight for the gospel. Remain focused on it. Look with me back in 1 Corinthians. Turn back to the Old Testament, just a few books. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24. Paul uses the same imagery. He says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. You put all of your energies into this one race that is worth running. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave So that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Paul's not talking about losing his salvation. What he's talking about is not living a life that's worthy or corresponding to the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he says, I focus all of my energy and attention on the gospel. Look at verse 23. He says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Whether I'm eating, whether I'm sleeping, whether I'm traveling... Whether I'm working and making tents, whether I'm speaking the words of the gospel, whether I'm resting, no matter what I'm doing, the gospel is always on my mind. I'm focused. My son and I have just, uh, we've started a new habit or a new hobby. I don't think it's a habit yet. It's just a new hobby. Right now, we're taking taekwondo together and we're trying a new sport, see what, see what sticks. So in our class, so it's a little unusual. Um, we're doing it together. So there's one other father and son which means there's two adults in our class, and then there are a couple seven-year-old boys, there's a 13-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and then there are four seven-year-old girls in my class. So I think when we start sparring, I'll be okay, you know? I think I'll be one of the top in the class, (laughs) top two. It's hard to remain focused in that class. When you've got a couple adults and all these kids, various ages, and uh, the, our instructors are really trying to teach us to learn how to focus. It's not just about punching and kicking, but, but learning to stay focused. So periodically, when we're getting unfocused, our instructors will make us stop, put our toes together, and stand silently. Say nothing and just get refocused because you can't break that board if you don't hit the board. You've got to focus. And you need to hit right there. That's the target. And Paul is saying to the Philippian believers, I want you to focus on one thing and it is the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to orient all of your striving, all of your effort in life around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stand firm by striving. Second, stand firm by striving together. Again, back in Philippians 1, 27, he says, I want to hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul says in one spirit. Now this could be the human spirit, but I think it's probably better the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit in Paul's writings and understanding that brings the body of Christ together as one. Look with me in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy, corresponding to, balancing the scales between the gospel and your calling to Jesus Christ. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Put up with one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It is the Spirit's ministry in the body of Christ to bring us together as one, not based upon our personalities, not based upon age, not based upon uh, race or anything else, but based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel can perform what no social program can ever do in terms of unifying people, Because there is this source of unity, which is the power of the Spirit, that transcends all of these things. It transcends age and race and socioeconomic status so that people can come together around Jesus Christ. And we can be literally, Paul says, of one soul, one commander-in-chief, one enemy, one purpose, one strategy, one source of power that is the Spirit unifying us, moving us together. That's what brings unity to the body of Christ. We do so together. After my uh, freshman year in college, I went and worked at Pine Cove summer camp and I was working uh, with the little kids. I was working at uh, the Towers and we had grade school kids, which by the way, if you're a student, that's a, man, that's a. would encourage you, go overseas one summer and work at a summer camp one summer. Uh, overseas, you get your vision for the world stretched. Summer camp, you learn how to serve, especially if you got the little kids and you have to scrub the toilets and you know, they don't give thanks to you and you're serving them food and it's a great training for parenting too. Okay, so those are your, that's just an aside. That's free this morning. So anyway, I'm working at camp, and we had people that came from everywhere. All over the country, counselors came. And we came together, and there are a lot of different personalities and gifts and talents and uh, even ages. And we came together, and there was an incredible sense of unity that God quickly created because we had one purpose, and we didn't have much time. And we had one purpose, which was to share the gospel with these kids, and to encourage them in their faith. And we only had a week with each set of kids. So we were very focused. And there was great unity. But I noticed as the summer wore on, we began to focus less upon what had unified us and more upon our differences. And the result was more conflict. Okay, more conflict. More conflict. And what happens in the body of Christ a lot of times is we don't realize time is very short and we have one shared purpose. And so we begin to focus upon the things that are different about us, things that are pulling us apart, rather than upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is Satan's most powerful tool to disrupt the forward progress of the gospel is disunity in the body. So powerful, in fact, Paul's going to spend the whole next section in chapter two talking about unity through humility, self-sacrifice, and service. We'll Leave that alone because we're going to come back to it and really hit that hard next week. So, third, we'll go on. We stand firm courageously. Look again back in chapter 1 of Philippians. Paul says, Striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and this too from God. Uh, I hope that you've noticed that in this book of Philippians, Paul uses a lot of really vivid imagery. Here this word for not being alarmed is the word that's used for startling a horse. Startling a horse, coming up uh, from an angle at which the horse can't see you, or a loud noise and the horse jumps and is startled, maybe kicks. What do you do when a horse is prone to being startled? You put blinders on. So all the distractions can be ruled out, and that horse can focus. Focus. Paul says, I don't want you to be startled by the opponents. this word for opponent is sometimes used of Satan, sometimes used of the Antichrist. Paul is talking about the opponent, which is for him at that point in time, Rome. The government, he said, you saw the conflict in me. You see the conflict now in me. And the conflict for Paul, that battle, that struggle was because Rome had imprisoned him. Remember, this audience that he's preaching to, they they saw Paul suffer for the gospel. He went into Philippi, he was arrested, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, and in that context, he shared the gospel, and he says to them, maybe the the Philippian jailer is hearing this letter read, maybe the, the young girl who had been demonically possessed, maybe she's hearing this letter read, and he says to them, you saw that battle in me, that opponent, and now you are facing the same opponent, they're probably facing threats from Rome now because as citizens of heaven and as citizens of Rome, there's a conflict sometimes between those citizenships. If you have all the benefits of being a citizen of Rome, you have an obligation to worship the emperor, to make sacrifices to him and to bow down to him and to call him Lord, Curios. But if you're a citizen of heaven, you can only call one Lord and that is Jesus Christ. And so they're beginning to pull back from that, and they're saying, no, we can't call Caesar Lord. We can't worship the emperor any longer. We can't eat this meat that's been sacrificed to him as a god because he's not a god. Our lives have to be different now. We can no longer participate in that immorality with our neighbors and our friends and our family. And so now their lives are beginning to be a source of conviction for all those around them, and they're beginning to feel the heat of identifying themselves with Jesus Christ. And they need courage. Paul says, don't be startled. That's normal. There is going to be opposition. If you align yourself with Jesus Christ, there will be opposition. I am encouraged that the Apostle Paul always asked people to pray for him to have boldness. Because sometimes when I read Paul's writings, I think Paul was immune to fear. But he wasn't immune to fear. When he was preaching the gospel and he saw people in the back row bend down and start to pick up rocks, that was fearful. When he saw the governing authorities breaking through the crowd with shackles and chains, that was fearful. And when they stripped the clothes off his back and they took a stick and they're about to strike, that was fearful. And so every time he began to preach the gospel, he had those memories, he had those scars on him, and he said, please, pray that next time I have an opportunity, I wouldn't shrink back, but I'd be bold. And you know, for us as believers in Jesus Christ, we need that boldness. We have courage to preach the word of God, to live for Jesus Christ without fear. Fourth, Paul says, we need to stand firm sacrificially. Again, chapter 1, verse 29 He says, for to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Uh, This is the most uh, startling, arresting thing that Paul has yet said in the book of Philippians. In my translation, it doesn't really jump out, so I'm going to retranslate it for you. This is what he says. You have been graced not only with faith in Christ, but you have also been graced with suffering for Christ. It's the same word. He says, For you it has been granted, not only believe. That is the word for grace. For to you it has been given the, the unmerited favor, the blessing to believe in Christ and have eternal life. And you need to understand that it is also grace, God's gift to you, also to suffer for Christ. That's a gift. I'll tell you, I've read a lot of those little um, Bible promise books. I've never seen this verse in any of those books. (laughs) That's not one people go, yeah, all right, you know, he'll never leave me or forsake me and I'm going to suffer for Christ. Claim that one today. That's my verse for the day. Paul wasn't going out and looking for suffering. But he knew that if he identified himself with Jesus Christ, he would suffer at some point in time. Jesus told his followers, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they rejected me, they will reject you. The world is deceived and it is against God's order being in control. And so if you stand for Jesus Christ and his kingdom, at some point in time you will come up into conflict with the world and you will suffer over in chapter 3 verse 10 Paul is talking about his goal for his life what he wants to have true of his life and he says I want this I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death Paul doesn't say I'm being conformed to his life he says, I want to be conformed to his death I want to be so closely aligned with Jesus Christ that I'm out of step with the world and if that means suffering, so be it. What is the primary symbol of Christianity? We didn't hang a recliner on the wall, right? We hung a cross. And the problem for us as Christians today is that that's really pretty, But if you were in the first century and you walked in and you saw a cross hanging on the wall, you saw a symbol that really shocked you and and caught your attention. It was a symbol of terrible suffering, of excruciating pain and death. It was a symbol of shame. It was not a symbol of comfort. Why does the church in America seem to suffer so little? Uh, You know, I can't answer that question for any of us individually, but I can generally, if I look out upon the church in America, I can tell you there are a couple reasons. One is that the church is more concerned with its comfort than with the cross. Okay, so we energetically pursue some of the gospel and lots of our comfort. That insulates us from suffering. We also get our eyes off of this common mission that we have and instead we turn inward and so our conflict happens internally and we're fighting amongst each other. The wounds that we receive are not from outside because we've identified with Jesus Christ but the wounds that we afflict upon one another. And so Satan says, that's great, I can just leave that church alone because they're not advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ because they're fighting with one another. Last year we studied Uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and uh, Haggai. And you remember as uh, the people were sent back to build the temple to advance the glory of God from Jerusalem to all the nations, they began to build, and then there was opposition, and they had conflict. Conflict from outside, and they had conflict from within. And then they finally were stirred up, they began to build the temple again, and what had happened was they had taken all the resources that had been laid aside for building the temple, and what had they done with them? They built their own paneled houses. They had pursued their own comfort. And so God's glory wasn't going out. And then they finally got the temple finished and Nehemiah was sent back to build the walls. And what happened? There was opposition. And they got up on the walls and they said, oh, that's just a small work. Why don't you just come down? And they demeaned the work that they were doing because they didn't see the value in it. And then they made threats against them, threats on their lives, threats on their livelihood. Some of those threats were real. Some of those were just designed to startle them. The whole point of all of it though was to stop the advance of the glory of God on the face of the earth and Satan will do exactly the same thing with us. Whether that is in your individual life or within the body here, whether he's creating conflict among us or whether he's taking our eyes off the beauty and the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting us fixed on something else, our comfort. Our will, our job, our career Paul says, no, live in a manner that reflects that you know you're a citizen of heaven and that you've received the greatest gift you could possibly receive, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live in such a way that those two are in balance, that they're consistent. I want us to go before the Lord and I want us to ask the Lord, God, speak. Show me, is there an area of my life that is out of balance with the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm looking at it it's like a rusty old vehicle. Thanks, but... Mm. Rather than seeing, no, this is an incredibly beautiful and sacrificial gift that I've received. Let's go before the Lord and say, God, show me where my life may be out of balance with that. Or maybe go before the Lord and say, God, give me courage and boldness to focus my attention on the gospel of Jesus Christ and rule out all these other distractions. Let's take a few moments before the Lord and then let me close this in prayer. Father, we are constantly in need of a fresh voice from your spirit. We thank you that you have not left us in the dark, but you have revealed to us the incredibly costly gift that you purchased for us through Jesus Christ. Father, we we acknowledge there are so many around us who have never heard a clear presentation of that. They've never clearly heard how much you love them. And great sacrifice your son made for them. Father, we, we are rich and so many around us are so poor. I pray, Father, that you would stir us up to lead lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that, that there is nothing we can add to the value of the cross. There's nothing we can do to earn it, but I do thank you that you've given it to us free. Lord, stir up gratitude in our hearts. Lord, I pray for us, uh, even in anticipation as we will look next week at chapter two and, and Uh, the example of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that uh, if there is any disunity in our body, that you would begin uh, to create healing and that you would draw us together around the example of Christ. Lord, we worship you this morning through him. We praise you through him. Uh, He is our savior. We have hope through him. It's in his name we pray, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.